Hello and welcome to another episode of Back to Britpop. It's me, Chris, and on this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Joe McAllendon of the band Superstar. Superstar were formed in 1991 and had some great success uh, in the 90s and uh, into 2000 as well. They released six albums in that time and some EPs as well. Joe talks about his musical influences, what it was like being in BMX Bandits and working with Norman Blake from Teenage Fan Club. And he talks openly and frankly about see, the highs and lows of being in the band and what it was like working with all the different musicians that he has done over the years. He's also putting the finishing touches to his new uh, solo recording, which hopefully will be out very soon. I'll be back at the end of the interview to talk about all the ways that you can support the podcast. But in the meantime, here's Joe. Welcome to the podcast, Joe McAllendon. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you for having me. Whereabouts are you? Uh, I am on the west coast of Scotland. I'm actually on the shores of Loch Fyne, um, in a little kind of little village called Stricker. Um, so if anyone wants to come and find me, you'll find me because it's a very small village. It's got a post office and a filling station and a few houses. So, so yes. yeah. So I've I've been out here. I moved out here. Oh, how long ago now? I moved out here maybe 17 years ago from Glasgow, obviously. Um, I moved out here for six months, 17 years ago. I've been here for a wee while. But do you know, it's kind of great because I'm so close to Glasgow anyway. And actually, before I left Glasgow, um, although I was, I was living on the south side of Glasgow, and I realised that I, was, I wasn't really using the city. You know, I was, I, was, I was kind of in the house most of the time, you know, and I realised, actually, I don't need to be here. I could be anywhere, you know. So I just kind of came up here what what's your lockdown experience then been like uh, where you are has it been <laughs> it's not been any different than normal <laughs> i think i've been in, i think i've been in lockdown for about 17 years do you know that it's mental <laughs> <laughs> don't see anybody from day to day in day out apart from your local no, villages no no it's, it's it's kind of a bit like that you know and there's you know kind of single track roads and stuff up here you know so um to be honest, maybe not to be so flippant about it, we've been really lucky where we are during lockdown, you know. Mm. Um, like my, the rest of my family are, are still out kind of in the suburbs of Glasgow, you know, and, and like my mum, for example, she, you know, pretty much been in her house for a year. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, we've been a bit flippant there, but we, we've been so, so lucky to be able to still kind of be enjoying the outdoors and, and um, not feeling, you know, kind of cooped up. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice now to see people coming out of the city um, and coming up to Loch Fine and kind of getting out in the water or doing whatever. It's kind of nice to see people kind of experiencing that freedom again, you know. So in, in terms of the work then in, and um, what you do in music, but you're still working in music and, and, and yeah. how, how does that that set up that you have there? Does it sort of facilitate every kind of need that you have? Well, it does, but actually through through lockdown, I had to kind of reevaluate how it worked because I just kind of thought, you know, how long is this going to go on for? If it happens again, I still want to be able to do stuff. So I actually spent in the kind of start of lockdown looking at how I was set up and I've actually kind of streamlined it now mm. and it's better. I mean, currently I've got some bits set, uh, set up here in the conservatory at the back of my house, which is obviously not ideal for acoustics, but... Um, it's fine for most aspects of what I need to do. So yeah, I've 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 got a really really good setup, and I can pretty much do anything I want. And we've got an amazing um, the Strathlochlan Village Hall, which I'm actually the chairman of the Village Hall. How about that? Yeah. It's probably the highlight of my career, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, 
amazing acoustics in, in, in the hall. So anything bigger, I kind of take, I've got a lot of portable bits, take them up there and kind of work in that space. And it's brilliant. You know, there's no, uh, there's no phone signal. There's no internet. There's nothing. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's kind of great. Really lucky. Um, but I mean, I've always been that way where, where, where we've always just kind of made do with what we have to make music, you know, even from the very beginning. That's how we've been, you know. What was your influence then early, you know, when you were well, a kid? I mean, when I was, I, I grew up in a very musical house. My dad was a principal music teacher, um, a trained opera singer. So I kind of grew up in that environment. Um, and I think around about the age of 10 or 11, um, I decided I wanted to play the violin. So through my early teenage years, I learned classical violin and then classical saxophone. So in later teens, when we hooked up with the likes of Norman and Douglas and all, that, all of our kind of crew back then, they kind of introduced me to this uh, freedom of not of being able to play music without having any music in front of me. Yeah. You know, I, I still remember sitting in Norman's granny's house, which was kind of the start of the boy addresses, really. And he, and he handed me a bass guitar. Um, his logic being that, well, it's got four strings like a violin, so you should be all right. <laughs> um, and I'm sitting with this bass guitar, which I think at the time only had three strings on it, right? Now. Um, and, I, and, and I said, you know, what do I play? He said, just play what you want. And this was a revelation to me because I spent all my teenage years in orchestras and been taught how to play Beethoven or Catch Tuning or whatever it was, you know. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting in a room um, just plonking away at notes and making stuff up. And I just thought, this is brilliant. This is so good, you know. Yeah. Well, so that got you into guitar music. But did you have any kind of musical heroes when you were a child or growing up? Probably my dad, actually, to be honest, you know. I think maybe I realise that more so now. Um, but... Like I said, it was a lot of classical music, and then we kind of crossed over into like Morricone and stuff like that. It was still at school because our school had an amazing concert band, of which I was the one of the saxophone players, and we were like the British champions and became third in Europe and stuff. But we we were playing things like Morricone and Bacharach at a really early age, you know. Mm. Um, uh, and do you know whether or not I had an understanding of the history of any of that? I don't think I did, but I just I just remember playing these things and thinking. This is great, you know. Yeah. Really enjoy really enjoying a lot of it, you know. So I, I actually had, had kind of experienced that maybe a lot earlier than some of my friends did. You know, they were maybe listening to the likes of I don't know, Throbbing Gristle and whatever else. You know, and I'm <laughs> walking in with my a girl from Ipanema uh, album, you know. It's just kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh, did that how did that kind of influence your kind of songwriting then? Because did you is it something you you knew you could do uh, quite early, or did you grow into that kind of role? No, I, I mean, I had no idea that I could um, write songs. And actually, my main influence to want to start writing songs was Norman, um, because I was sitting in a room with a friend who was kind of with ideas for songs and singing and lyrics and stuff. And that really inspired me to want to try, you know, at some point. I just thought, mm. well, you know, this, this is brilliant that he can sit and do this, you know. So, so I used to potter away at home on my own. I think it was a long time before I um, kind of wrote anything that I wanted to let anyone hear. Um, because I was I was always so heavily involved with uh, the boy who just and the BMX bands and all that kind of stuff because I could play quite a few instruments. So I was um, quite handy to have around, I suppose, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, my, my, the thing that made, made me want to try to write songs was just by watching and listening to to Norman, really, you know. Were you conscious that you wanted to have your own sort of 
vocal style or kind of lyrical style? I had no idea that I could even sing, you know. I didn't, yeah. it's not something that it's not something I did at school. But again, it was one of those things that um when I realized I could sing, I would always be doing backing vocals, you know. So um and I think that gave me a uh, an inkling that oh actually I quite like this you know mm. so <clears throat> and obviously when you write your own songs you're kind of singing to a point you know whether it's in your bedroom or whatever you've got your kind of humming melodies or whatever um, and I quite enjoyed it but it, <clears throat> it took me years and years and years to actually find my voice that's for sure you know I think, I think at the beginning I, I just wanted to sound like a perfect singer I mean I mean probably going back to you know, when I actually when I started doing Superstar. We did an album for um, EMI in America we were saying to. It was after we done our first creation thing. Mm. And I remember spending a long, long, long time perfecting the vocal because I had this sound in my head of how I wanted to sound. It wasn't me, you know, and I actually, I actually ended up sounding, it sounds a bit lifeless to me now. It's perfect, perfectly in tune. The tone's amazing, but, you know, the soul's maybe been sucked out of it a little bit, you know. Was there other artists that you you were listening to or slightly influenced by, or was it like a decision that you wanted to kind of remove yourself from something that was happening locally? If that makes no, sense. No, I think I think it's just a dispute. I don't know. I mean, I think I, when I was playing classical music, you know, I was I was very aware of the sound of the orchestra and the sound of all the different instruments and the textures and the tones and how they worked together. You know, mm. and I th I think when it came to my voice, I had this idea in my head of how it should sound. It was very much influenced by tone and kind of perfection and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't think it came from any, certainly come from any specific singers, if you like, you know. Yeah. I I thought then and wrongly that that was how you go about being uh, the best singer you could be by fixing everything, you know. Um, I, I'm kind of glad I learned that early on because I realised how it's kind of really pretty shit idea, to be honest, you know. <laughs> And it takes and it takes up a lot of time, you know. You're, you're kind of and that's back in the days when people were just still just starting to use kind of computers and studios, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to jump in for just? I think I could sing the word. I think I could sing and a bit, bit a bit better, you know. <laughs> you just jump in for one word and things like that. It's just like oh my god. Yeah, things. I must, I must have driven everybody nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're entitled to do that if you're the songwriter and the vocalist. It kind of goes with the territory. <laughs> In, term, in terms of um, Superstar then, I mean, it must have been quite a, almost like a brave leap then to sort of go out on your own and, and form a band uh, away from sort of like, you know, the BMX bandits and, and, and your friends and colleagues from, mm -hmm. from, from that outfit. But, you know, was there a decision that you, you felt that you had to spread your wings a little bit in, in terms of that? I don't, I'm not sure. Actually. I think, I mean, to be honest, everyone else in, involved in that group of people were doing it. You know, obviously Douglas had... He was the kind of core of the BMX Bandits. And then there was Sean, who started the Soup Dragons, and Norman, Boy Hairdressers, um, you know. Um, and it just was like, well, maybe I should do something else, you know. Um, mm. And it was, just, it, was, it was just a case of that. You know, we had loads of time, you know. We had loads of time. And I don't think at any point we had much of a plan for anything. You know, we were just we were a bunch of people that just loved making music. And, I mean, we loved hanging out in each other's company. We spent a lot of time together, you know. Um, and there was never a master plan at all. It was just kind of like, let's make some music, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think naturally, I just started trying to write songs, and maybe subconsciously felt that these songs I was writing didn't 
work as a BMX bandits thing or didn't work as a, I mean, Norman was very much the writer and the boy hairdressers, you know, and we were all more than happy with that because the stuff he was coming up with, we were just like, holy shit balls, where's that coming from, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm coming up with ideas and I'm just trying them myself and doing them in my own time. And that ended up being, I think I ended up doing a, a, a I'm sure I did a demo that I gave to him. Obviously, uh, after the boy hairdressers, Teenage Fan Club kind of came out the, the the, the back end of that and you know they obviously get in the cahoots with Alan McGee and I remember pretty much making a demo um, and giving it to Alan you know because obviously we're all still hanging out together gave him a demo and I remember him he told me <laughs> it's really weird I remember this is in the days before mobile phones uh, uh-huh. telling him telling me phone me on Friday at 12 o'clock right <laughs> that was it and at that time, I was up in Inverness on a wee kind of holiday with my then girlfriend, and I was like, "We need to find a phone box." Um, and actually, I can still remember where the phone box was. It's not there anymore. Um, but so I had to phone Alan at twelve o'clock. I phoned him down at creation. He's like, "Alan, let's Joe here." He's like, "Love the song, three grand. Go and make a mini album. Right, see you later. Bye." <laughs> oh wow! Hung up, <laughs> and, uh, and that was that. You know, I was like, "Wow." It's amazing. So that was that was the start, and at that point, I didn't even have a band. There was no band, so you had you had you hadn't band. You hadn't you didn't have a full full band behind you, and you hadn't sort of gigged as well. I guess no, I done no, I done nothing. You know, but but I think pretty much off. You know, I mean, obviously heavily involved with all the other things. Yeah, I think even even at one point, I did did some recording and a wee bit of touring with the Soup Dragons in in the early days as well. You know, so you know, I mean, Alan just. You know, it's very instinctive, you know, just obviously liked it and he thought, why not, you know? And so they, that was it. Never they, a contract, never nothing. It was just like, let go make a record, <laughs> you know? And that was quite um, one of his kind of styles, wasn't it, in terms of how he signed and, and looked after his bands, and uh, especially in his early days, before it all went completely crazy with creation, as we all know. But yeah. was, was it, what was it like being in that little early bubble with, with creation? It was just, I, I don't know, again, just really good fun. I mean, we, we, we were on, I don't know what kind of journey we were on, but we, you know, we, we, we kind of came out of Lanarkshire and then got to know people in Glasgow that we, that we were inspired by musically, you know, the Pastels and Primal Scream and, you know, meeting Stephen and, and Bobby back then and then, you know, going to the same Splash One Club in Glasgow and then that kind of extends even further you know, because obviously Primal Scream end up on creation and then the fan club. And so just like this kind of spreads, it just kept going and going. You just kind of went with it. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just met new people and again, people that you had so much in common with. And, and you know, Alan, um, is, he's a real people person, you know, and we were all like that as well. I mean, we, we, we uh, maybe we're all quite, um, I think we all are, we're all still um, quite kind of, I guess, normal people. You know, we just like having a laugh, we like being nice to other people and, you know, and we just kind of got on well, you know, and I think that was, that was certainly a big part of, of a lot of it as well. You had, what, five, six albums out um, between sort of 92 to the, to 2000. And, and across that time, that you know, that decade, did you find yourself like lyrically uh, and just in terms of the writing evolving? And did you, did you consciously try to, to, to do different things or was it? Um, let's just think. I mean, for me, lyrically, I, I mean, I'm, I always struggle lyrically anyway. Um, and I, I, I realised 
quite early on that I really have to write about things that I feel. Um, otherwise, I find it really difficult to sing. Mm. You know, I think I think if you write about some about how you feel, um, then it's it's much more natural to be able to sing, um, and and feel honest about it. You know, I mean, it's a it's a tricky thing to do because you you know you're putting your heart in your sleeve and. Um, it's kind of brave thing to do. So I've mm. I've always kind of followed that um, same kind of thing. Is I can't really write about saving trees or something, you know. No, I, I do care about that, but it, it has to be something that really, really affects me. And that usually is relationships or loss or, you know. And I think a big part of a lot of my um, as pretty much sums up all of my time as superstar. It was writing about relationships and loss. That's yeah, it, pretty yeah. much nothing else really, you know. Well, that's one of the the the, the most sort of um, connectable subjects uh, that that connect can can sort of reach people, isn't it? I think I think to be honest, it, you know, looking back on it now, um, it's I think it's kind of kept me sane because it's I, I realised um, when I was older, it's how I dealt with my feelings because a lot of a lot of um, this does not sound stereotypical, but a lot of certainly the west coast of Scotland kind of male thing is like this kind of staunch. I'm fine, no wrong with me, you know. I'm all right. Everything's fine, you know. That's right. kind of like if you, yeah, it's all that kind of stuff, you know. Inside they're crumbling, but no, they're fine, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so I guess that's how I um, kind of dealt with all the shit that was going on in my head, you know. With regards to the success of the albums that you produced um, over that period of time as well, I mean, the later with Jules Holland appearance and things, and how how important was that sort of in terms of getting uh, the band out there? Did it did it feel like that, that was important to you? I mean, the whole experience was was pretty amazing, even when it was crap. You know, look, looking back, I, I don't know if well, I have got one regret, but um, and if you want to ask me about that at some point, you can. But um, other than that, it just things you know, things kind of happened and you just went along with it. I mean, to be sitting um, watching a show like later with Joe's Holland and you get a phone call and say, um, we'd like you to come on the show, you know, <laughs> just like, yep, amazing, you know, what yeah, an experience, yeah. you know. And, and I think, um, I'm pretty sure through the, through the time of Superstar, I think we had like s- seven singles of the week on Radio 1, which is a bit nuts. You know, yeah. um, and we still failed. That's <laughs> brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, totally love it. Um, but we were very lucky. We were very lucky with press. Uh, we were always, you know, generally very well reviewed and very well kind of all that kind of stuff. So we were pretty lucky, you know. But I didn't take a lot of notice about a lot of that stuff. I was so kind of engrossed in music and making music and playing music and just being a creator, I suppose. Yeah. You know? Did you did you find the, the the like the front man thing easy to do? Or are you quite happy to be front and center, or did it not come easy? Not really, you know. I mean, I think um, it just so happened that I was the one that people started started liking my voice, and I was the, the songwriter. You know, um, I loved, and and I would still love to be the bass player in somebody else's band. I loved being the bass player in a band, and I would still, if there's anyone out there who needs a bass player, I'm your man. <laughs> Because honestly, I was I, I just loved being that guy, you know. Get yeah, to, yeah. You get to sing occasionally, but just had the power of those big beefy bass notes. You're the only person on stage doing it, and it's brilliant. Yeah. Um. So I, I loved that, you know. But I loved. I think when I eventually found my voice, I loved singing. You know, I think people say to me now, "What's your main instrument?" And it's my voice. You know, it's where I'm most comfortable. 
um, and I'm most confident probably now, you know. And, and in terms of the writing for the stuff that you're doing now, I mean, do you think that you're drawing on different things and, and in terms of creating music, how, how different is it from like the, you know, the superstar times? I think the, the process is very different, obviously, because I used to love going into, I would take a song idea into a rehearsal room with a band and we would, you know, we'd, I would certainly have certain bits of it in my head, you know, um, and just loved playing the songs over and over and seeing how they evolved. Mm. You know, and uh, I loved that whole process, you know, whereas now I spend a lot more time on my own and I find different ways to work, you know. Um, <clears throat> I think in early days, we were very fortunate to, to work in really great studios with really great engineers and mix engineers and stuff, you know, um, and I didn't really have to bother too much about wondering what those knobs did or why that cable's going into that. I was quite happy to just... And be involved in music, you know. So, I, more latterly, I've kind of been rediscovering how to create things, you know, using technology. I suppose. I mean, mm -hmm. I think this uh, the album, my first ever solo album that I'm, I've just about finished, apart from a couple of vocals. Um, I've been again. It's going back to what I said before about orchestras. I'm working with textures and layers, but this time it's you know it's it's different kinds of sounds, you know, that are being created from machines and computers and, and kind of marrying them with natural sounds, voices, guitars, whatever, pianos, yeah. you know. So it's probably the same, but a wee bit different, I suppose. Yeah. You know, the, the hardest bit now is is not having, a, you know, a kind of face to bounce off. You know, when you, it's just quite nice when you're working on something to see uh, an expression in someone's face. Yeah, so it's good if it's good or bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly yeah, that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I could be sitting on the biggest pile of shit ever. I don't know because nobody's heard it apart from apart from the dog. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just like, yeah. uh, so, I know, I know that. Is 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 it isolating that way, or is it something you just become accustomed to now? I just, I mean, it, I, I think certainly over this last year, um, I've um, I've just had to. You know, no. um, um, I, I, I had a bit of a bit of a scare about maybe about six months before lockdown, where I had a, well, I'm still getting invested. They're still kind of doing tests and stuff, but a kind of memory problems. I've been seeing kind of lots of neurology people. Mm. Um, so if you were talking to me, maybe almost two years ago, that whole songwriting thing or the creating thing is was just a big black hole. I had no idea oh. how. Um, how to do it or how I was ever going. I was actually kind of resigned to the fact that I probably wouldn't be able to do it again because I've always been very fortunate. I've never had that. When people talk about writer's block or anything like that. I've never had that. I've always worked really well with pressure. I've always kind of, I could write to demand um, if I had to, you know, and then all of a sudden it's just like blank. Mm. Um, pretty scary to be honest you know I mean um, the rest of my health has been fine there's been a few wee things but so I had to kind of did worry about it for a while and then I just thought you know there must be some kind of way that I can get back into the, to doing some kind of creative thing and, and I've got some I've got amazing equipment I've got beautiful instruments but just blank the whole thing you know mm. um, so I think we just mentioned a little while ago when I was talking about um, looking at how I worked and changing the way I worked and, and 
getting rid of some equipment that I didn't need anymore and getting kind of smaller mobile better bits and whatever else. It was through that process that um, got me into trying um, little ideas and stuff because obviously you know yourself you buy a new piece of um, audio equipment you, you, you want to try it out so you have to plug it into something and see if it works mm. which inevitably means you probably have to pick up an instrument or stick up a microphone and sing so that's kind of what happened I just went through this process of getting these new pieces of kit and seeing how they worked and all of a sudden it was a little idea that would stick down in the computer and then maybe go back to it and yeah yeah but I, so I'm at a point now where I think I've, I've probably just got another four vocals to do and, and a couple of bits of words and that's I don't know how many songs that is 10 songs but I think um when I think about it that that's a process that um, before this happened, you know, I would probably have done that in less than two months, maybe. Ah, uh, right. You know, and it's kind of like two years down the line. But you know what? I don't care because I'm doing it. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, ha- yeah. Happy days. So, in actual fact, talking about the record and shit, I don't really care because two years ago, I didn't think I'd be able to do it again. You know, mm. so so I'm kind of quite happy in that respect. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there was a lot of other pressures that came with um, being in a band as well, and I think when people looked. Whether I liked it or not, people looked to me as the kind of leader. Um, and there's just sometimes where you don't want to be that person, you know. You know, there's there's a lot of kind of other issues that come up where you want, you know, I, I was very much about creating a a nice, happy working environment. I like things to be, I like things to be good, you know, there's no point in doing it if there's not an element of fun, you know. Um, and I really struggled if that if if that wasn't the case. You know, and it just came to a point where it's just like I didn't, I didn't really um, want to be that person anymore. I didn't feel I had the energy to keep every everybody happy. They may have been happy, I don't know, but and be this creator. You know, mm-hmm. it just gets too much pressure in a way. So there's elements of yes, working on my own that is great, yeah. But I do miss that um, people thing. But more often than not, in, in fact, everything that I've done since Superstar has involved people. At some point, you know, whether that be laterally in performance or towards the end of recording or, you know, I mean, even at this, with the Linden stuff, I ended up down working with Edwin Collins down in London, you know, and just always involves people at some point. It's just different. So do you think um, anything off the, off the new record Rod Stewart might be uh, interested in? Oh, no. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he will be. <laughs> um, that was a weird experience, I have to say. It was a very weird experience. I oh. knew it was happening. I knew it was happening because yeah. our, my management at the time had heard from uh, the guy's name, Rob Dickens, who was the head of Warners in the UK, that Rod had heard this song, had heard the song "Superstar" on the radio, and he really liked it. And could I, um, could I, could we fax the lyrics to him in LA? I'm, I'm in Shawlands in Glasgow. <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'm just like kind of thinking this is. Is quite funny, you know. So I did end up writing the words down, faxed them uh, off to, and that was the last we heard until one day um, I got there was a knock on my door, um, and it was a postie with a registered uh, recorded delivery uh, envelope with a tape in it because <laughs> didn't want to send out CDs, obviously, in case I copied them. So it was like a cassette tape. Of yeah, the, yeah. What ended up being Rod singing the song, but uh, the problem was that um, I think we had all been out the night before and had a huge hangover, and the postie was really early. Um, and in my excitement, I put the, t- I put the tape on um, and all of a sudden 
you know, the, it was the same riff, a little bit slower starting. I was kind of like, wow, mm. this is it's metal. And then Rod Stewart starts singing. It's like this guy from the faces and whatever else, you know. Mm. He starts start singing. And it was just too weird for me to, to, to get the tape machine and threw it in the bin. <laughs> not because it just totally freaked, totally freaked me out. I mean, later on the day, I went back to bed later on the day, get back up and took out the bin, obviously, but I didn't listen to it again because it was just too freaky. Mm. You know, it just it just was genuinely too freaky. <laughs> but it, but it, I mean, I, I it'd be interesting what you think of it. But I, I, I think it's a fantastic version. I've got to say, yeah. I, I mean, mean, the thing is, the, the thing is, he's the only thing that kind of caught me about it was, you know, who am I to criticise someone like him? Not at all. I'm not. It's not a criticism. But he he actually sings it like a love song. Yeah. Right. And actually, it was a breakup song because that song was written. I wrote that song about twenty minutes. Um, and I was uh, drunk. I don't mean to keep talking about drinking, but I was drunk at the time because basically what happened is we had we had um, we had finished our deal with uh, EMI in America for various reasons, and we had a band meeting. And I thought, yes, we'll just go on to the next thing. But some of the guys, and quite rightly so, uh, didn't want to continue because it was going to be trickier financially, blah blah blah. And that's understandable. But I remember walking home, and I felt I, I felt as if I'd just been dumped. I was really quite upset, and again, it's down to this. It's back to this people thing, and I, I just want people to be happy, you know. Mm. Um, and I went home, and again, a girlfriend at the time, same. I don't have loads of girlfriends. I was the same one from Inverness, just for if anybody's wondering, um, you know, <laughs> not like <laughs> like girlfriend number twenty five. It wasn't that at all. Same same girl, and um, <laughs> just I'm thinking myself in all years. Didn't even have to explain that because probably nobody would even have noticed. But anyway. She was going out that night, and and I came I came home, and she could see that I was I was genuinely um, kind of quite pale and up and just upset, you know. This huge thing was felt like it was just falling apart, you know. And we'd been such good, well, we were such good, we're still good friends and stuff, but it was just like the whole thing was falling apart. And she said, "Oh, I'll, I'll just maybe I'm not good tonight. We'll just stay in, you know." Um, and I was like, "No, on you go." So she went out, and I literally, um, I don't know drank quite a fair bit of vodka, you know. I'm not going to go down that boasting thing because I don't actually remember how much I did, but enough for me to write a song, uh, record um, a guitar riff, pretty much 99% of the lyrics um, and the harmony on Porter Studio um, and forget about it for about three months. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So... so <laughs> I totally forgot about it. So uh, yeah. So that getting back to the Rod Stewart thing. So it was it was a kind of breakup song, but he sang it like a love song, and that 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 was kind of I think what kind of freaked me out about it initially, you know. But it's nice to see how people interpret things differently, you know. Am I right in thinking? Because I, I only listened to it again recently, just to to remind myself of his how it sounded. But did he write an additional sort of middle eight section for it as well? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. But apparently, he does that quite a lot. Right. So so I believe. Um, and to be fair, you know, he, he did it and it wasn't a case of like, oh, yeah, um, uh, he, he didn't do it for a royalty or anything. He just did it because he, he likes doing stuff like that, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I was, I, was, I was fine with it. I was kind of like, yeah, why not? Crack on. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, it's quite funny with that, that song because I think it was um, there's a few funny things happened with that song, actually. Our version was single week on four different radio shows and Radio 1, right? I mean, this isn't a boasting thing. It's part of the story. It's going to have to be part of the story. Yeah, yeah. And, the first people to play it um, and make it single was, I think, it was Mark and Lard on yeah. Radio One, right? And Simon Mayo was off sick and heard it in his sick bed, 
and he phoned the runner, get this over to me right away, I need this song. And so the following week, he when he was back at work, it was his single of the week. Um, and, he, and he got to the end of that week and said, we're going to have a new single of the week next week, but we can't find anything better than this, so it's going to be this one again. So it was actually a single of the week, two weeks in a row in the Simon Mail show. Um, <laughs> so wind on a wee while, then Rod Stewart brings out a version, right? And it was, I think at this point, Mark and I, did they go into, did, did they end up being on Radio 2? Yes. Uh, did they? Yes, they did. I think yeah. they did. Or certainly Mark Radcliffe. So it was obviously Superstar, the song. It was going to be his worldwide Christmas single release, Rod Stewart's. Right? Okay. So I've actually got a promo copy of, of a, a, the, the single. It was single of the week on Radio 2, right? <laughs> So, so it's quite bizarre. Um, and, and Mark Radcliffe put it on and they obviously had to play it because it was single a week. And I think they played it. My, I think my sisters got this on some uh, tape, actually. Um, they played maybe about 30 seconds of it, took it off and says, that's our single a week, but we're just going to play this version because it's much better. Oh, put on God. the superstar version, you know. It's quite funny. But um, so I was I was sitting in the house like um, think, thinking, my mental Rod Stewart is a worldwide release of this song. It's his Christmas kind of single you know and you're kind of your, your mind starts racing thinking what well, you know what's this going to mean for me as a writer or mm. even financially or whatever you know um and then he fell out with his uh, then girlfriend and, and said he wasn't going to do any promotion so they patched it <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> so so again you just look at these things and say do you know what it's what it is quite funny um, um so I, yeah i've got a CD, i've got a promo copy of it <laughs> What is it? I mean, it is. It's not a very Christmassy song, though. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it was going to be the old sleep because of sleigh bells in it. You know. Yeah, know yeah, that, yeah. You know, I don't know if that's the only reason, but that was, it was going to be his release at Christmas. I don't mean as a Christmas single. It's his. So yeah, it's just yeah. big worldwide Christmas release. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, not, so like a, not a video with a shaken Stevens t- style kind of uh, Christmas jumper <laughs> scenario. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I know it, it used to say it's one of those those things that you, that, that as a writer, it comes and goes quite quickly. And it's, it's isn't it strange that sometimes the, the biggest success you can have is something that you is is kind of throwaway for you at the time. Um, yeah. You know, when you when you look back at that that success for it, I mean, I mean, it must must be absolutely amazing though. No, it's. I mean, it's amazing. I think it's probably it's probably the most um, kind of it's probably the most natural songwriting process that I've ever gone through. Just to to have done something so quickly. Um, I did it. I did it with one other song. I've done it with one other song in my career, and it was a song. It was one of the two songs that we ended up performing on later with Joe Holland, a song called "Every Second Hurts." Yeah. I wrote that really, really quite quickly, and maybe in about an hour or so, with all the words and stuff, you know. But those—that's the only two teams that's that's ever happened. Joe, Superstar is probably one of my one is in my top ten of all time. So yeah, there you go. I mean, do you know? I think. Do you know? I think it's about time some someone had a worldwide smash with it. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Rod Stewart were big fans of that song. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really it's. I find it quite um, strange because it 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 feels such um, a simple song in a way. I mean, I mean, I guess a lot of people, a lot of the best songs are simple you know but it, it always kind of really amazed me how how it had kind of resonated with so many people you know and it, be, it just became this really great kind of thing you know well I think the, the thing as well I think about it is it's the simplicity in a way but the the lyrical style and obviously the how it's sung and obviously the, the lyrics themselves but that that it's the guitar it's the the riff as you say it's just this it's something it's 
obviously punctuated throughout the whole song, but it's just something you yeah. want you want to hear. It's not like it's yeah. a, it's an overplayed guitar solo or anything, but it's almost just um it's you know just, do you know how you do, do you know how you do that? <laughs> what no. you have to do to do that is you have to be not very good at playing the guitar and have had a few glasses of vodka. <laughs> that's how that's how you write parts like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind yeah, of like pretty it, much true. It's kind of it's because it's weeping, isn't it? It's got, I mean, I don't want to be sounding sort of weird and cliche, but it is it is this, just a sad sound for the guitar, and I think it just so complements everything. It's just it, it's a fantastic song, and I think it's just one that's always stuck with me. There's many, not many sort of singles or, or album tracks or, or anything really that you just think that's a bloody belter that is. And you just mm-hmm. it, putting it on takes you. It's just an instant nostalgic thing, and it only happens with a few songs for me. I think that one is just mint so thank you Jeff. yeah no thank you did did you know there's a there's a french version of it oh shit no yeah <laughs> so um I, there's always a story isn't there there's always a story or something but i think around about that release time so i think around about the time of the that palm tree album there was a you know, I, I might be correcting this but it was definitely a, a change of law in france um as far as radio stations went in the 80 percent of music played in French radio stations had to be in the native tongue. So, uh-huh. um, and we had already, I think I think the song had made a little bit of an impact in France um, and it looked like it was going to kind of potentially maybe go quite well over there, you know? Um, mm. and, and everyone thought, oh, this is going to be a bit of a stumbling block. You know? So I said, why, why don't I sing a French version? Right now I did Latin at school. I didn't do French at school, so so, <laughs> uh, so it became a tricky project from the outset. Um, and we got actually this amazing lady from a uh, prison opera to translate the lyrics, and she came into the studio. And I basically just re sang over the instrumental, you know, mm. we didn't re record the whole song. Um, and because I didn't hadn't studied French, um, I had to get I had to get it all written out phonetically. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> and this the lady whose name escapes me, she was very um she 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 was in the vocal booth with me to make sure that I got everything right. But I unbeknownst to me, she was really nice until that point. Because every time I got something wrong, she started wrapping my knuckles. So <laughs> it was a bit, of a, a bit of a painful process. But apparently, um, so this version, um, apparently I sound as if I'm from Marseille. Oh. I've got a bit of a, bit of a Marseille accent. Or, I don't know if it's Marseille or Arce. I don't know. You may have said Arce. I don't, I'm not yeah. quite sure. Yeah. But yeah, so that was it. So there's a there's a French version out there. I'm going to have to um, seek that out. I mean, you said earlier on about regrets, but what 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 are your regrets? And and then in terms of you know the, the, the superstar and anything else from the early days. I think <clears throat> I think as far as superstar goes, I do have one regret, and it was and it was just to do with not following my gut instinct. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's it all centers around that song. Um, because when it was when it was originally single of the week on Radio One, it wasn't even a single. It was on it was on a mini album called Eighteen Carat. Mm. So it wasn't a single release. So that was weird enough. Um, but we got a call <clears throat> from Warner Brothers in the UK, basically, um, just basically saying we want to sign the band for. Uh, a single for this single we will turn it around and it'll be number one in two weeks three weeks time nice. right um and i just thought fuck it why not because i'd already written most of palm tree at this point so i was quite confident that i'd 
um, lots of things to follow to follow up or to to you know. Yeah, I was yeah. Confident as a writer, it wasn't like I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, big one song wonder. I never thought about that at all. And I don't think we ever would in that situation, you know. Mm. So I was kind of all for it, um, <clears throat> but I took advice from the people who were looking after us at the time, and they reckoned it was a bit of a gamble. Um, and I just kind of bowed to their knowledge, if you like, uh-huh. rather rather than going with my gut instinct. So, yeah, and it's not because I, th- I think I've missed out on anything. It was because it just didn't follow my own instinct, you know? I, don't, I mean, who, who knows where that would have led? I don't know. Yeah. No idea. Like, same thing, same outcome could have happened or, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I just, it's that gut, I just following your instinct, you know, it's something that I always do now. You know, I learned from that experience, certainly. Well, Joe, I'll let you go. It's um, It's thank been you. an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And thanks so much for, for joining me on the podcast. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for asking. Thanks again to Joe for joining me on the podcast. He was an absolute gent and a great guest. So we're coming up to the end of season two now, and it's been fantastic. Uh, I had some great guests on the show. Thank you again for all your support. It's greatly appreciated. And there's loads of ways you can support the podcast. Um, do that on social media just search for back to Britpop on Instagram Facebook and Twitter also if you would like to write a review and give me a star rating on the Apple podcast app that is amazing and really helps and also if you'd like to buy me that virtual coffee the link to my coffee or Ko-Fi page is in the show notes and you can do that as a one-off thing or a monthly thing or however you want to do it it's three pounds so that's it for this episode um, I think there's one left to go and uh, it's a cracker if it all goes to plan so see you next week <laughs>